0: I had to shake him on my last case, Big O don't play.
1: All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Muskie Humps podcast. I'm one of your three hosts this evening, Ryan Reed. We have two other hunks on the line and we've actually have two guests tonight. So looking forward to this episode, super excited about this one. Uh, We're going to talk to two gentlemen from the, I'm just going to say, can I say the hills of Virginia? Can I say that?
2: Sure. Absolutely.
1: All right. So the hills of Virginia. So we have on the call tonight, Mr. Donnie Swink. Good evening, boy. Good evening. What was that? Yeah, I don't know. That mic cut out there. Say good evening, boys. Again,
3: how we doing? We there? Oh, you're That's good. better. That's way All crispy. Right. Oh man, new mic. Still here working can... the kinks out. Still yeah, working. Yeah, growing me. pains here.
1: Growing pains. All right. We also have on the phone
0: tonight, Mr. Owen Seaman and Big O's Bucktails. Good evening, gentlemen. Very glad to be here tonight. Uh, hard, hard at work getting ready for Musky Max. Yeah,
1: I can imagine. So, I think. Uh, I think it's a safe assumption that three out of the five people on this call are working hard to get ready for Musky Max.
0: Yeah, the push is on. And I i, I, I kind of hit me last night. I got a lot of work yet to do. You got like four bucktails made? I have no bucktails made because I have, uh, I'm still on the painting blades portion. But actually, the, but the building of the bucktails is not, that's not like the super, you need all the components get th- together. And so... I'm working on the blades.
1: I could have swore, Swinky. you can confirm this, but I could have swore somebody said they weren't painting
0: blades this year. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I heard that. I'm not painting them crazy, meaning I'm just doing solid colors and then doing, like, it's going to be kind of like a, um, I don't know, just a very simple, you know, bright colors and different color stickers. The stickers are really going to kind of pop, and and they're going to be epoxied in there, which they hadn't been in the past. Uh, oh, okay.
1: Well, before we introduce our guests here, oh, and I might kick this over to you. Yeah. We just uh we want to give a little little
0: shout out to one of our hunks here. Absolutely. Um, I know I, I don't know if we've talked about it much, but Tom's dad has been been sick for, for a while. And um, you know, he's really been going through it. And last night, unfortunately, Tom's dad passed away. Uh, so that's why Tom is not with us here tonight. But, you know, as over the last couple of years you know, this group of guys has really become you know part of what I would consider kind of an extended family. And so when someone loses someone, you know, a family member that, you know, Tom is so close with his dad, you know, it, it, it hits hard. So I've been thinking about Tom all day. You know, he and I were texting back and forth. He was spending the day with his family and, you know, with Kayla going through his dad's stuff. So, you know, just when you listen to this, Tom, just know that, you know, we've all been thinking about you and we love you. And, you know, hey, these things happen and you kind of got to, I don't know, grieve however you you can is kind of how I look at it is. And, and however you do it, you do it.
1: Nice job, Owen. So yeah, Tom, we're thinking about you, buddy, but we have two guests on the line tonight and we're going to kind of transition and we're going to find some energy here because we're we're super pumped about this. So on the phone tonight, we have Mr. Andrew I with Spray Bomb Bait Company. Good evening. Good evening, buddy. How are you?
4: Good. Good. Just to clear things up, when uh, when Ron and I say, y'all, that means yins.
1: There you go. <laughs> there you go. We can relate to that.
4: So we can translate a little bit there for you.
1: So
0: are you working on baits there?
4: Yeah, I'm pretty yeah. much done, but uh, I've got a few scragglers here that I'm just messing with.
0: Cool.
1: Fresh from the lab, man. So we also have our second guest is... Appears to be in his lab as well. <laughs> we have Mr. Ryan Painter from Ryan Painter Customs. What's up, buddy?
2: Oh, what's up, what's up? Happy to be here. Appreciate the
1: invite. Yeah, man, we're looking forward to this one. You guys, uh, you guys are doing some big things down there in Virginia. You know, I, I, I wanted to talk about that for a little bit tonight because my, my favorite beer of all time comes from Virginia.
0: Which that's, is?
1: That's the, the Blue Mountain Dark Hollow.
4: Mm, it was an excellent beer.
1: That That is one of my, it's, it is my favorite beer of all time. And I, I, mm. I like to enjoy that at the uh, Capitol ale house down there, just outside of Richmond. So it's cool. I got a lot of fond memories of Richmond, Virginia.
0: Well, so where are you guys, where are you guys at in Virginia? I mean, Virginia is a pretty big state, which I didn't, I, I'll admit like until I had a friend go to Virginia tech and, you realize just how far away Virginia Tech is from just about anything else. And it's like, wow, Virginia's got a lot more land than you think of from up here in Pittsburgh.
4: Oh yeah, for sure. So I I grew up in uh Shenandoah Valley. I currently live in uh, north central Virginia and uh I went to graduated from Virginia Tech, so okay. I pretty much covered the state, it seems like.
2: Yeah, I'm about cool. an hour from him born in the shenandoah valley and haven't left yet still there in the mountains yeah
1: that's awesome so is 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 there a uh a shenandoah beard that accompanies this ryan painter uh
2: you know i don't know maybe
1: <laughs> a little bit there a little bit there our, yeah, our, it's our it's listeners can you know it, it's definitely better than mine i can tell you that i'd like to ask because i'm
2: getting there anyway
1: for so i've met a lot of folks from like that area in general and i feel like you got to have a really solid beard when you're from the Shenandoah Valley.
2: Yeah. I mean, this is, this is relatively weak. I would say, you know, all things considered, most people around here laugh at me. It's <laughs> a good thing. They can't see. Me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, all right. So you're, you guys are about an hour apart. So assuming that you guys do some fishing together, correct?
2: That's correct. Yeah.
4: Ryan actually lives closer to the river than I do, but, uh, Usually when I come over, I give them a shout. A lot of times our schedules tend to line up where it works out more often than not.
1: So that's pretty cool. And as far as like you guys each have your bait company, which seems like there's a lot of good products being made out of Virginia. Like do you guys, when you guys get out on the water together, is there any type of like internal battle on the boat? You know, are you like Andrew, you trying to throw Ryan stuff, Ryan, you trying to throw Andrew stuff or do you guys just work your own baits? Out of curiosity,
4: oh, oh it's a, it's a constant, it's a constant battle.
0: <laughs> now, when you guys say... do that, when you guys do that, are you fishing out of one of your boats, or do you guys like how 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 are you guys set up to fish?
4: We both run jet boats, small okay. small jet boats, jet Johns that type of thing, and usually, yeah, we make a plan on who's bringing the boat, but we both have them.
3: So, when you're fishing in Virginia, is that almost all primarily uh, river fishing then? Uh,
4: like, is yeah, that what we, you're have, dealing with? we have a couple of really small lakes, but they're well, they're more like ponds compared to most lakes. So, yeah, so most 37 of our
2: 38 land. acres is our lake 38 acre lake. <laughs> yeah,
1: is there muskies in that 38 acre lake? Yep, really gets, th-
2: gets
4: stocked every year.
3: <laughs> Ryan Reed's going to be out there with six rods doing laps,
2: a
1: couple of oh, bobbers. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they <laughs>
2: will have trouble turning.
1: we'll drag some plows out there (laughs) all right so you know as far as the bait companies like andrew you were on the fat az podcast and Mm -hmm. you got to tell a little bit of your story so we'll we'll try to touch on some of that but my first question you know is like talking about you guys and and how you got started you know essentially fishing so i kind of want to start with that and maybe Ryan, I'll start with you. Like, can you kind of give us any background on how, when you started fishing in general?
2: Yeah. I mean, I'm a, I'm a lifelong fisherman, you know, grew up with my granddad taking me a similar story. I'm sure to a lot of people. Um, I mean, I can't even remember when I started, you know, two or three years old with the Zepco 33 catching panfish and whatever would bite a worm. Um, and just, you know fish my whole life love floating the river love getting out and uh really got into smallmouth as i got up a little older and that was kind of my trophy of choice i guess you could say that really started uh when i really started ramping up my fishing and uh always kind of knew about musky um, but didn't didn't really know what they were didn't really know where they were how to target them anything like that um and i was with my granddad and he ended up catching one on the old school bass jitterbug um, and that kind of uh, sparked the fire so to speak you know you see this fish that you think is just giant uh, with these teeth and you're looking back that fish was probably 35 36 inches but I mean we thought it was the biggest thing that we'd ever seen Um, so then the obsession became you know how do I reproduce this how do I target these fish and catch them and uh there was no real you know, there was nowhere to look for information when I started, at least in the South. You know, everything was up north. Um and a lot of that just doesn't correlate over. The seasons run differently, the bait base is different, everything's different. Um, so it was really uh really a hard go figuring out how to catch these muskies in the south. Um, so it was a very, very long, painstaking process figuring out, you know, how to catch the second one. We caught the first one by luck and then number two probably took you know, a year or two, um, then just slowly kind of figured it out from there, started learning more and more, started meeting people that also uh, targeted them and learn from each other and been a slow process, but kind of how we got started anyway.
1: I mean, that's, that's, to me, that's pretty cool. Cause like how many times do you hear, like you catch a muskie on just like a, a jitterbug or whatever it is, a rattle bait, you know, bass guys with a Senko, like Seems like that happens probably more often than, than we think.
2: So. Absolutely. I mean, and even here, I mean, even today, um, there's a large amount of people that have no clue what they are, have no clue they're in the river. Um, you know, we still, there's still people that come kayaking past and they see the bait you're throwing and they're like, what are, what are you doing? You know, there's nothing in here that can eat that um so you know even with the information being out there today there's still a lot of people that just miss that and have no have no clue they exist
1: that's uh that's also interesting you you mentioned about like talking to guys like you run into andrew down the river and you guys have a conversation because i feel like that doesn't happen a whole lot like where guys are just very open and talk and like you can establish those relationships and kind of work together to catch these fish so that's kind of it sounds like a uh like a, a special scenario that you have there where you've got good guys around you that are willing to kind of talk and help you out.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's one of yep. those things where our whole, well, our holes are small and uh, you know, it's, it's not anything that happens quick. You know, you don't see somebody one time and then your best buds fishing together, you know, this is a drawn out process that, you know, at least in in mine and Andrew's situation, it probably took a, a couple of years. You know, you run into somebody once and then you, you can't really avoid people when you run into you know, when you run into them at a boat line landing or a hole on the river because it's so small. Like I said, and you know you learn who people are, and then you see them one trip, and then you see them a month later, and you start talking a little more and a little more, and I guess you slowly uh, realize that they share the same passion you do, and you know you realize that you will get along pretty good, and you slowly form a friendship. But it's not a not exactly a quick process at least for me because i'm secretive i don't like to share a lot of information um i certainly don't like to just hand it out to people that i don't know because it took me a long time to learn it um so definitely has to be somebody i consider a friend that's for sure yeah and i would
4: say for, for the most part all of us that fish our particular area we all communicate relatively well comparatively to other areas in my experience because I've you know I've we can it's a long story but I cover a lot of the east coast and um you know what I see in other areas is not not the way that we fish together in our area and I mean it's not many of us so that probably is one of the biggest factors but for the most part we all get along we don't worry about spot stealing and all that you know all that drama that you get elsewhere we don't we don't seem to really have that um, we all kind of, we're all pretty friendly at boat ramps and, you know, talk back and forth via be t- I think everybody's got everybody's phone numbers. Cause usually, you know, when you go on the river, you kind of want to go with somebody. It's, it's dangerous enough as it is with two people, much less if you by yourself. So a lot of times everybody calls everybody and tries to find a partner to go with them.
1: Yeah. That's interesting. I, I've never been in a jet, so I have to like Swinky, like Swinky, I know you and Kellen have done some of that. And I'm like, man, I don't even know what the, I see some of that video from like some of the guides and stuff down there. And I'm just like, Holy crap. You see these like boulders and I'm freaking
0: out, dude. And I'm not even on, you know, I'm not even on the water. And the speed that, that guys take those, you know, those rapids at, I mean, it's just insane.
3: I mean, Kellen bought that jet this year and I'd never been on one. He had never been on one, nor had he ever driven one. And you know, Kellen's the type of guy that's, he's like, well, I don't know how shallow we can get with this, but there's only one way to find out. We're just going to test the limits. (laughs) I mean, he just hammered down and we went as far up this river as we could go until we smacked a rock and (laughs) came to a stop. And then what's even crazier is trying to get back down when you realize that you're, you're sitting even shallower now than you were coming up and you're, got to get out and push and everything i'm sure you guys know all about it it was my first experience but it's uh it's a whole different world if
4: you're if you're not willing to break stuff then there's no point in it, Jim, but
1: <laughs> that's fair
2: yeah
4: <laughs> i mean that's a pretty accurate statement i think right ron
2: yeah i mean you can i didn't think about it much when i was younger but if you can find yourself in some pretty dangerous situations, especially in the winter, uh, you definitely have to kind of just be willing to go with it. I mean, I think everybody's got that jet boat crash story, you know. I mean, I've you know, you it's 8, 10, 12, 15 miles between these boat ramps, and these ramps are in the mountains. Um, sometimes not, you know, there's nothing around. I mean, I've spent i spent all day walking back to a ramp after you crash a boat. Um, So it's, uh, it's certainly a a unique experience. And what, what you mentioned earlier is so true. Everybody, everybody goes up river, um, and you have no idea how much more difficult it is to come down. Uh, so just because you made it up, that doesn't mean anything.
3: (laughs) Yeah. We learned that firsthand real quick. Dude, this is a yeah. this
1: is wild to me because I never really thought about that like till right now. Like I just like I said, I see these videos and I'm like, holy crap! But so I, I'm curious. Like Andrew, do you have a boat crash story? Now that Ryan brought that up.
4: Oh, uh, oh, I've got several. Um, <laughs> Ryan's been with me for one of them. Uh, not that wasn't the worst one though. The worst one, uh, friend of mine, we actually went downriver, and uh, there was no ramp downriver, only a dam with no ramp. So we were going down river and on the last rapid, uh, I smacked a rock. And when you hit her, I hit it with the the actual jet motor and what it did, it flipped up in the air. Well, the force of hitting that knocked the cow off the engine. When the cow flew off the engine, it broke the spark plug off. So nothing, nothing was wrong except for I had a broken spark plug. Well, I didn't have an extra one in the boat. So the guy that was with me, I took him over the bank and he walked I don't know how far is that, Ryan? Two two, three miles back to the boat ramp. Something like that? I'd say so.
2: About three yeah. miles probably, yeah.
4: Yeah. Then he went and got the truck, drove into town, got the right spark plug, came back, we put a new spark plug in it, and we managed to get back up out, you know, because we had to run back up river to get to the ramp. So um But that took all day, and you know when when you first when it first happens, you just kind of sit there in disbelief, like, "Well, what am I going to do now?" uh, When you break a spark plug off, because there's not a lot of fixing that without a new spark plug. So that was one of the that was one of the worst ones, and then the probably second worst one. Ryan was with me, and it was the water was probably a little bit low for doing the run that we were doing, and we made it up through. We went up river, made it up through just fine. And then on the way back down, you know, Ryan and I are kind of hemming and hauling. I'm like, do I, do I run it or do I drift it? Cause you know, usually in the river, if you drift things, you tend to break less things, but you also stand the chance of getting stuck. So
0: you only live once.
4: Yeah. Well, that was the motto that day. So I put her to the floor and I didn't hit the, I didn't hit the run. It was a particularly challenging run and I didn't hit it right. And, uh, we hit, but the boat would still go forward. It, I knew something was wrong with it, but I wasn't real sure what. And uh, we finally got back to the boat ramp and pulled the boat out, and the jet foot was completely gone. I had never – usually I've broken them, like put cracks in them and dents in them and stuff like that, but I'd never completely erased one before. And uh, so it was gone. And the funny part of the story was is I went back – that was in the wintertime, and I went back in the summer – when the water got real low and clear, and I waited out, and I got that jet foot back, I actually found it. It just sheared all the bolts off, so I was it was still usable. So I wasn't out five hundred bucks. So who works on your yeah, jet?
0: Your jet outboards down there. Uh,
4: usually we take them to um, uh, James River Jets, which is Jim Starkey, and then um, Rock or what? Ryan, what's the other one? What's Mason's River Road?
2: Road, Ron? River Road
4: Jet. A River Road. Yeah, River Road. Yeah, those are the two main ones that most people use. But I mean, most any marine mechanic can work on them. You don't necessarily need a a jet guy to work to fix them.
1: See, that's crazy because our problem here is like we don't like you have to go like two hours plus to find like a good marina or yeah. somewhere that's going to work on it. You know, and those guys are usually pretty backed up too. So that's that's kind of interesting. That's that sounds like i i let me just put it this way. I'm super thankful that I I can fish Pima Tuning <laughs> Cause I don't know that I can handle <laughs> myself in a river like that with a jet. I would be a I would be a, a trolling disaster. You know, so we
2: started off actually into
1: a nice uh, Yeah, I mean I it, was, you gotta uh, have spare motors. Uh, Owen's watching jet prepare yeah, got- videos right now. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead.
2: Yeah, but I've got I've got two outboard motors, you know, because of like you said the long wait times. I've been waiting on one to get repaired for well over a year at this point. Um, that should be ready any time, but it's nice to have two. I know people that have two or three motors because if you, I mean, if you want to fish and you want to run and and, and get away from the ramps, and like Andrew said, you just have to accept the fact that you're going to break stuff. So you have two or three and you break one and send it off and slap the next one on.
1: (laughs) Just like that. Slap it on and go.
0: Yeah.
1: All right. So, I mean, this is amazing stuff right here. Cause I don't, I don't remember talking about jets on this podcast. It's other than Kellen.
0: Yeah. Limited, uh, limited talk about Kellen when he was, you know, acquiring one, but we didn't really hear much about
3: it. We didn't get to use it nearly as much as we intended, but you know, that's work, that's, Uh, work and life tends to, Tends to do that to people, but uh, we're we're hoping to get out on it a little more this year. We might have to go down and visit Andrew and Ryan, wave to him at the hole, and see if he waves back.
4: I can guarantee I can guarantee you that when if you guys showed up to the boat ramp and saw either mine or Ryan's boat, you would look at it and say, "We're going in that."
0: (laughs) I mean that's what a that's what a John boat is. Yeah, Yeah. I, I don't. I wouldn't expect anything fancy in a John boat at all. Hell no. Well, Ryan's
4: running a really nice jet setup I mean, it's got, it's got a few weld repairs on it, just a few. And, uh, <laughs> but it, you know, it'll go, it'll go most anywhere we need to. And then I've got a, uh, a tally skiff, which is basically a canoe with a, uh, flat back on it. And then I've got a forty thirty jet on it. So, it's a 40 power head with a 30 jet pump and it goes 28 miles an hour. I mean, that's sweet. Yeah. That's smoking up the river in a fiberglass canoe.
1: I mean, that's, that's honestly pretty intriguing right now. Like I, I'm very interested in, in seeing this process and like everything involved in that. Cause that's one thing I said, like I fished with a lot of different guys. Like, you know, you talk about fishing with like the, you know the muddy creek guys and their rangers and i you know i got we got friends with rangers we got friends with Alumacrafts and luns and every like a lot of different boats but that's just one thing i've never i need to experience that at some point right. oh, yeah. i love
3: you man but like you fall over in the boat in the oh, tracker yeah. casting dude and it doesn't even rock like <laughs> I think you'd be in for a rough day on Andrew's jet canoe.
1: (laughs) Andrew Ryan would be pulling me out of that river multiple times during the day. I guarantee that. We'd have to have an over under
0: on how many times I fell out of the boat. I'm envisioning like one of
5: these.
0: I'm envisioning one of these like Amazon jungle boats, like real long skinny boats with like, you know, an outboard on the back where they're going line up the Amazon. Yeah,
1: that's pretty much pretty much. That's sweet, dude. (laughs)
0: That's just like so cool to me to
1: think about that, but we, uh, we kind of got into it a little bit there. I want to circle back. Like Andrew, like I said, I know you told some of the story already, but you know, how did, how did you get started fishing?
4: Uh, more or less the same. So, you know, granddad take us out, dig worms, caught whatever we caught and whatever we caught went in the frying pan. Um, uh, and that's, you know, we did that for a long time until we were, until I was old enough to, uh, probably when I started driving, I started getting more into other things, which would have been trout. Um, I did a lot of fly fishing for trout all through high school, tied my own flies, you know, all that fun stuff. Cause we do have some good, good trout streams in the mountains. So I did a lot of that. Um, then in college I started doing more bass, um, being in that Virginia tech, I was had the new right there, which was, you know, an awesome river for smallmouth. So um, I did a lot of smallmouth fishing. Um, and then when I came back home, we would go uh, where we go now and and smallmouth fish some too. And that's how I caught my first as when I was bass fishing. Caught it on a, a safety pin spinner and, uh, you know, thought it was the craziest thing I'd ever seen and it was only like two feet at the time, but, uh, we didn't know what to do with the thing. It was the first one we had ever seen. And it just, it spiraled out of control from there because I think one of the biggest fish I ever caught was the third one. Um, and I just didn't know, you know, we didn't have bump boards or anything. like. I don't even think we had a net, but we were, uh, we just didn't know any better. And, um, uh, yeah, it just, it just went out of control for that. And then uh that was probably that was about 2005 2004 2005 that we started pursuing muskies and then a lot of times we would take a trip to the uh, new river for a week every year that was kind of like our muskie camp and we always did pretty well it was always a fun trip And that's 2018 19 ish was when i started getting into custom baits because before that like ryan said there was you hardly ran into anybody that musky fished. you really didn't know much you didn't know what baits were out there the only thing we knew was whatever raleigh and helens had because we would request those catalogs and get those and then you know you always had your wish list and you know at that stage of my life i couldn't really spend a ton of money on stuff but my favorite bait of all time was was always a hellhound, and they were cheap and they caught fish. Uh, and first custom bait I ever bought was a hot tail glider, which are made somewhere between us and y'all. Um, yeah, uh,
0: there's West a bunch Virginia, of Maryland. yeah, there's a bunch of West Virginia glide bait builders that that, that have mm-hmm. been doing it for quite some time. Yeah,
4: yeah, that was my first custom bait I bought, or first one I bought same day that i bought it i caught a four-footer and i was just like well these custom baits are pretty cool and then you start going down that rabbit hole and uh you know bought a bunch bought a, all kinds of different stuff and then i got you know uh got to know ryan and uh, another friend another other two friends of ours that that fished the area and they all made baits And i'm like well i can do this too so that's how i started getting into making my own and here I am now.
1: So I got to ask this question because I feel like this has always been the answer, but you guys talk about catching that first, that first fish. And it just like turns into this obsession. Like you want to catch another one. You want to figure these fish out. Like, do we feel like, is that just like the natural thing that happens, you know, in musky fishing? Like, is that how the sport's growing right now? Or is it more or less like, I'm just kind of curious if it gets that initial like addiction and like a general and rush and like things like that, and that gets people attached to these fish. Or do you guys think it's just you got to be a special individual to want to do that? You know, it's like every bass fisherman that catches a muskie doesn't get into muskie fishing, right? Like, so what is it? Is it is it that? Is it something else?
2: I think you got to be a bit of an uh, adrenaline junkie. I mean, it's definitely adrenaline that, that sparks that initial interest. Because, um, you know, you catch one and that's a feeling that you've never had over a small mouth or a large mouth or anything fresh water that I've caught anyway. I mean, it's a euphoric experience that is unmatched. It's uh, So, I imagine people are just chasing that adrenaline. And uh, like you said, not everybody sticks with it. Um, I think it probably gets a hold of people more like my situation that really wasn't even trying, uh, didn't know they exist. Um, catches them off guard the people that i've seen that haven't got into it are the the bass guys that do know about them that go and try to catch one and they they have to try and try and try and take several trips over you know several months to finally get that first one by that point it's like you know i've seen people respond with why that's how hard it is to catch one i don't care about number two i'm going back to bass seems to really get a hold of the people in my experience that just catch one out of the blue no effort you know and then they got up they want to do it again
1: Andrew you agree with that
2: yeah I, I do and
4: you know Ryan and I have several fishing friends that that have gotten in and out of it and you know they still bass fish but like you say, they don't want to put in they're not willing to do those you know five trip beat downs and uh and I think I think one of the reasons that I stuck with it was is we were pretty successful early on because we caught you, know, you caught the first one. Well, then you tried to go out and duplicate it. Well, I got lucky, and we were just—you know—we were hammering them. We <laughs> throwing rapalas like like what you guys talk about all the time. You know, you get you find the biggest rapala you can find at the bath store, and you go out there and just you you know spend twelve fourteen hours a day working those things. You're going to catch something, and uh, we did pretty good early on. And I think that's probably what really fueled the fire for me. Swinky, it you... wasn't the first fish, it was the second fish, you know, yeah. when you duplicated your mistake.
0: <laughs> That's well, a good way to put it. <laughs> was were muskies something that you knew about as kids growing up in Virginia? It because it was here in Pennsylvania, like it was kind of like a thing of lore to me as a kid. Mm-hmm. I, I I didn't catch one, but it was I had always known about muskies being in the local waters. But I guess down in Virginia. That wasn't you'd, the case.
4: No, you'd be hard pressed to find somebody.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, you'd it's just, and even like Ryan was saying earlier, even still today, there's still a majority of fishermen don't know they exist in Virginia.
0: Really? Huh. Uh, how many bodies of water are they in in, in Virginia? Like, how many water, like river systems?
4: Grand total, it's like 12 to 15, something like that. Okay. But there's three what the state considers class A fisheries um, where, you know, they get stocked the most and they get the most attention more or less. And that's where your, your highest catch rates are. So Shenandoah river, new river, James river, those are the top.
0: How is Virginia with stocking in terms of uh, are they good with, notifying you uh, the public on where the stocks and stockings are and the amount or is it kind of hey we stock these waters these watersheds and have fun
4: well compared to what pa and ohio do it might as well be non-existent okay yeah i mean it's there's not really much comparison um, uh, yeah i don't i, I don't want to i don't have to go into too many details but i can tell you that we that the state stocked like 100 fish last year so <laughs> yeah our our, our hatchery is not set up real well for it and uh they're we're, we're working with muskie Inc. they're they're working with us on it and we're trying to make it better so um the james and the new are actually uh not stocked those are the two best fisheries and they're not stocked because they uh naturally reproduce really well there so
0: really um, oh, that's very interesting to me
4: yeah so they don't need to stock those so there's not like a it's not like a crisis at the hatchery to try to get these things through and get them out everywhere. Um, all the lakes are are usually stocked, and the Shenandoah is stocked, but it's not. It's not like it's not on the same level as PA stocking or Ohio stocking by any anybody
0: imagination. What's the theories or you know what natural reproduction that far south is? I think pretty significant. Uh, is it something about the, those bodies of what, those rivers that I I don't know?
4: Yeah. They just have good uh, spawning grounds in them. It's the, you know, the geology of the, the river they have, they have the, what they need to do it. Now, usually what, what'll kill us is when we have spring blowouts. So if the rivers get real high in the spring, um, it, it, it messes with their spawn pretty bad, but we've had a couple good spawning years here back to back. And they're all the reports we're seeing from the state. I mean, the state's good about communicating with our muskies Inc chapter. They don't put it out in public very much. They do have the muskie management plan online to read. Um, but uh, they said, they give us a lot of info in the muskies Inc chapter and uh, we kind of distribute it out to as many people as we can, but, um yeah, they, they're working on it and they give us, you know, as much info as they can. They're, they're pretty open about it. So
1: it's the interesting thing about the, like the natural reproduction, like PA, they always talk about like the sediment in the water and like, uh, just like, what, what is that? Like the nutrients and stuff like that. Like our, mm-hmm. we don't get a lot of natural reproduction here because our water is so fertile. And it covers Mm -hmm. up the eggs and things like that and i can remember like our guys from the hatchery talking about that so when you get like a river system like the like the new or the james i'm assuming that's like is it fairly clear
4: yeah yeah very clear
1: so i i don't know i feel like when you talk about natural reproduction stuff like that you got to like wisconsin minnesota wherever like it seems like a lot of those bodies of water just have like less nutrients and like less junk in the water. You know, like, I don't know. They just talk about, like, the fresh, like, at the hatcheries, they keep that fresh water moving over top of the eggs, stuff mm-hmm. like that to keep them clean. Just kind of interesting to think about that. Because I think the areas that we do have natural reproduction, they're probably similar to that, you know, yeah, water, so. clean.
0: Are any of those rivers that have natural reproduction in significant amounts, are they dammed at all? Uh, yeah. Okay. In some
4: spots, yeah, yeah, yeah The new, I think the news dammed uh, once in... twice in Virginia, yeah, twice in Virginia, I believe. And then it flows in. On well, the James, yeah. There's several on the James, quite a few on the James, but they're not I, like I, huge, huge reservoirs. They're, I don't know, they're kind of, uh, they're they're not big. Um, the well, the one on the news big. That's a power generating dam and. It's got a big lake on it, um, but the James—they're all what I would consider real small reservoirs. Man, I don't know
0: why exactly. You know, we we don't have any significant reproduction. I've always been kind of told that you, you know you mess with the river as much as the Allegheny and uh, is messed with you know, all the way up. You know, as far north as it's messed with as how many locks and dam systems where you create these big pools. Where at one point those were you know, much more running water and now it's standing pools. Now, Donnie, you fished the Ohio, which obviously has significant locks, a lock system. I mean, do you think that has something to do with the natural reproduction? Um, I mean, and yes. And I'll, I, and I'll I know a we're a not experts. Yeah, obviously. I, right. But, right.
3: Uh, Thanks for pointing that out. Yeah, the one thing I'll say is I, I definitely believe that we have natural reproduction in our rivers here in Pennsylvania. Uh, ohio allegheny and monongahela somebody might come over on here and tell me i'm wrong but i would stand by that i don't know that it would ever be enough to be a sufficient population without being supplemented by stocking at this point i don't know uh but there's no doubt in my mind that these fish are you know spawning uh i would also say just like andrew said uh just as much up here it's going to be dependent on certain time you know certain years is going to be better than others with the we got high water blowout we can get that the same way you know being locked and damned as they can you know not having that kind of size of flowing water but uh I, I don't know exactly what it is you know everything that I've ever read and heard and I know Ryan and I have talked about this a little bit too and he's talked to Jared I think A little bit more than I have but you know they say it's more the the reservoirs where we really feel that we have little to no reproduction in the lakes just because of the sediment and the lack of flow to you know the like Ryan was kind of talking about the, the fish lay the eggs I guess and dirt and whatever settles on top of them so they suffocate is kind of what I've always been led to believe anyway right
0: that we don't have enough of what is like the natural moving water because of the 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 pools and everything that have been created that that creates more sediment and silt that drops down and suffocates the eggs
1: i gotta believe the amount of couches floating down the river has something
0: (laughs) to do with it too but i mean further up the river too you know but I, i i do i'd have to go back to some of our episodes with luke woley and and nick colangelo because i think we did touch a little bit on whether they had experienced any natural reproduction at least in the upper you know upper allegheny and i think i think their answer was yes that there that there was evidence of it which is obviously a cleaner waterway you know it's not it's not around pittsburgh for god's sake yeah
1: now we talked andrew you kind of talked about how you got into making lures you know, and I remember listening to your story on the AZ podcast and talking about the gas station that you bought that bait from and stuff like that. You know, like what I'm curious about is like Ryan, like how did you start making baits? Like how did, uh, you know, like Ryan painter customs come about?
2: Yeah. So, uh, you know, I got started musky fishing relatively early. Uh, you know, I was still in high school, um, 16, 17 years old. And, uh, you know obviously money wasn't abundant um so you had it's kind of just like andrew said i had riley and helen's um i was ordering ordering baits out of the catalog um the entire time uh, my granddad had this massive uh well not massive but he had a a nice wood shop he had every tool i would need to build baits um he had all the know-how um and i started you know, seeing all these baits were made from wood, and I'm like i think that I think that we could do this so it just uh it started for me as you know, if I see a bait that i I want to buy, I'm not gonna buy it, I'm gonna build a bait that will function like that and tinker with it until I'm happy with it, and that will be my bait so basically, it was just a way to save money um and that was a great way for me to learn because you know it's all simple stuff you would see a bait like a like a jake or something like that a basic flat stick and uh you know you cut it out of wood and put a bill on it and it would swim pretty much like one and you're like once you figure that stuff out then you can start you know drawing your own concepts and of course that was none of that stuff was stuff to sell it was just you know for yourself but uh you know at that time selling wasn't even on my mind it was just a way to build baits and save money um and then I was always a big topwater guy, so I started playing around with my own topwaters that were fairly unique. Um, started selling some of them here and there, and, you know, when I first dove into selling, it wasn't more, you know, to make money. It was more so just to uh, over my expenses, and I was selling stuff dirt cheap, you know, basically giving it away, just telling people, hey, you know, if you buy this for the expense that I have into it, uh, that'd be great. Um, so I was certainly not making anything for years. It was just a way to fuel my hobby and to to keep learning, really. Um, and then just from there, I started growing and started developing my own things and more unique bait stuff that I could really call my own and felt proud to to sell. And the ball just kind of kept rolling from there. But just started off as being a cheap uh, high school student, really. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And how many different baits do you make now? Like what, what's your lineup?
2: I started off with the wood, you know, I did all the, all the wood stuff, crankbaits, glide baits, topwaters. Uh, I don't do much of any of that anymore. Uh, the bait that really, I, the one that put me on the map, so to speak, was a rubber bait I made, um, back in, back then anyway, I guess six or seven years ago at this point, there wasn't a ton of shallow uh rubber options that would work well in rivers. Uh, there was shallow rubber out there, uh, but it was finicky and in current, you just, uh, most of them didn't perform very well, um, at least at this time. So I wanted to make a bait that I could keep shallow, um, but would still track well and swim well in, in, in the rivers around here. So I made a, a big rubber bait that looks like a catfish, um, and that was kind of, I don't, I don't want to say claim to fame, but that was certainly the bait that made me popular. Um, that bait caught, a, you know, a ton of fish throughout Virginia. All the guys in the rivers seem to really like it. And I got a lot of great feedback on it. Um, so that catfish, uh, rubber bait is by far, you know, the number one in my lineup. And now I've expanded to where I have four sizes of that that fall under different names, you know, big cat kitten micro kitten and tomcat so that's my my number one bait for sure um and just recently i actually kind of got uh dipped my toes in the swim bait market and i've uh developed a swim bait that looks virtually identical to a hog nose sucker um like we have here in these rivers in virginia uh, so that's a hog nose sucker paddle tail swim bait um and that's something pretty new that i'll be bringing to the show as well so that's that's my primary lineup. I still play around with some hard baits. I do different uh, versions of pool baits and uh, some different uh, hybrid crankbaits that I'm known for. Sucker crankbaits as well.
0: It's, uh, where, where could our listeners Hardbaits. go to to check out some of this stuff?
2: Yeah, it's all on my Facebook page. I'm still, even now, I'm like as minimalistic as humanly possible. I don't have a website. I don't do tons of marketing. It's just Ryan Painter Customs. On Facebook, everything that I'm rambling about, you can go on there and check it out. I'll have pictures of everything. I've been doing a lot of posts recently, gearing up for Max. Uh, so you can see everything on there, Ryan Painter Customs.
0: I just joined it.
1: Yeah, awesome, I was following
0: awesome. Yeah, you can check stuff out.
1: I was following you, but I, I, I never liked the Ryan Painter's Customs until this afternoon. I felt terrible. I was like, man, I got to give that a like.
0: Yeah, I'm checking I'm on, some of this stuff out I'm as we just, talk here. Wow
1: i uh I, I got a funny story that i want to jump over to andrew on this one but i think it might have been last year it might have been two years ago i can't remember can't remember when the last it might have been 2020 uh the 2020 max right before the covid you were uh ryan you were at that show right was that 2020
2: that was our first yeah, show. this will be
1: my okay.
2: this will be my third year so yeah
1: okay so i i remember uh like looking at your booth and looking at those those, uh, catfish baits. And then I, I saw you, we we actually stayed in the, ho- the same hotel. I was going to come over and talk to you the morning, Sunday morning. And I just like, you You, you guys look like you're pretty busy. So I didn't get a chance to do that, but I really wanted to like get some time and I never just never, I never circled back around to your booth. So I want to get some time with you guys, you and Andrew this, this year, and maybe take some video and pictures and take a look at those baits. Cause I, I remember people talking about like the catfish style baits, like being able to like jig them and drag them and stuff like that. Is that, is that like the typical use? Is that what you guys are doing with those?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I kind of marketed them and branded them as a, a shallow river bait. Um, and I never, you know, I've had a lot of guys that fish lakes that aren't exactly that interested in them. Um, but, you know, the newest model I've been making the Tomcat is a little more geared towards uh, people that fish lakes. It's got a little more weight in it and it works a lot better uh, with the traditional uh, hopping action that guys in lakes uh, love. When I first started prototyping that, I took it took it on a trip to a lake in Ohio. And first day out, we went three for four with it. And it uh, has done well in lakes uh, ever since. You can fish it down 10 to 15 foot pretty easily. Um, so, you know, even though it was marketed as kind of like a slow drag it on the bottom, um, I've always used them. For everything and i'm kind of a, a bait maker so i'm guilty of just assuming people tinker with things because i have guys say well you can't use these in a lake and my mind is like well screw some lead into the nose of it you know because that's what i do right. but i understand that you know that's not for everybody uh you know people want to bait that they can just take out and fish so i've been conscious of that and i've uh, made an effort this year to bring some models with more weight in them that people up there can come by and grab and take and fish effectively in their lake. Uh,
0: yeah. Well, I was just checking out some of the stuff on your Facebook page and I mean, you got a, a, a number of different models of rubber, uh, you know, rubber baits. How do you do the internal harnessing? Uh, I've been to everything. Do you, do you, I mean, do you pour, do you pour your, you know, do you pour your own lead? Do you, you know, tie your own. You know, bend your own wire and pour your own lead right there. Ryan,
1: he's going to ask you what epoxy you use. Yeah, we're getting stuff. to the
0: epoxy oh, part.
2: <laughs> everything, everything that I have is is made by me. The le- the harnesses are built uh, by me by hand. I have a lead molds that I have made myself. Uh, that I you know put my harnesses in and pour lead around them. Um, so everyone is hand bent and tweaked and. Um I hand tune every bait um uh, before I send it out. So at some point here before I go to Muskie Max, I'll take all of these baits down to uh my pond and I'll throw every one of them, make sure every one of them is in tune. Uh, and if it's not, I'll tweak a little bit. That way when people get them, they don't have to play with them at all. They're they're ready to roll.
0: Nice. Now, do you typically fish you said that was sort of originally made as a shallow water swim bait. Is it more of a straight retrieve that you Kind of designed it for, or a pull pause. I always fished it pull um but
2: I would say, by and large, Virginia fishermen love their straight retrieves. Uh, I was always kind of cut from a different cloth with that. I, I was always on the pull pause train, but people took them, and I would say, the majority of the fish have been caught on them, low rolling them along the bottom. uh That's definitely the. Uh, technique of choice, but like I say, I've always pulled paws and they work, they work great for that too. So it's just like any typical rubber bait you can do. people say, what, what's it do? How deep does it go? I'm like, it's a tool you can make it do pretty much what you want it to do. Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I'm I'm looking forward
1: to checking, checking these out. Yeah, man, for sure. I got, I want to jump over to Andrew though. So, you know, kind of talked about, uh, you know, spray bomb. And uh, I know you're working on some stuff. I've been seeing your pictures, but can you just kind of go over your bait lineup for us real quick?
4: Yeah. it. Um, I'll start at the biggest. The The biggest I'll have at max is a 10-inch um, glide, and that's a shallow shallow running glide, big wide glides, um, similar to, say, a big uh, – one of the mag hellhounds or a mana. It's most similar to that for sure. Yeah. Um, And then step down from that is the eight deep, um, which is a deeper, a lot deeper running glide. Um, they're pretty heavy. Those are more geared towards lake fishermen for sure. Um, I mean, you can still run them in, in the river just fine, but that originally it was geared more towards lake fishermen for sure. Um, and then I've got an eight shallow, um, not a ton of those but uh I will be bringing some. That's a, that's definitely a, a river special or if you're in a lake running them over weeds you need them to be real shallow. Um that's that's what it's for. Um the next size down from that is what I call the 55. Five. That's my newest glide. Um it's it's going to be it's going to be kind of a weird model for people. Um it's it's purpose-built, um, and its purpose was to either find the deepest hole in the river or be in a lake trying to find muskie at, you know, 10 to 15 feet, um, which can be a challenge for a glide in a lot of ways to get them down that deep because um, it takes a you know, most of your glides on the market, it takes a while for them to sink that to that depth. Um, this one does not take very long at all. So it gets there really quick, you know, and you can keep when you're working it. A lot of glides tend to rise back to the boat. Um, this one, you if you if you do it right, you can keep it. You can keep it down there longer because um, when you take a glide out on the lake, you cast it out and you can count it down. Most of them down to ten feet, but when when you're working them back, you know half the half the time that bait is in the water, it's it's all, it's coming back to you. So it only spends half of its time in the water in the improper zone that you wanted in. So, um, that five, five was made to go deep, stay deep and get there quick. Um, and it's, it's, it's purpose built for sure. But if a bank anchor uh, picks it up, they're going to hate it. Um, just because they're going to, they're going to snag it or, you know, it, it, it's not ideal for that situation. So, um, you know, it's, it's kind of good. I get to come on here and talk about it a little bit. Cause I had, I, I've tried to tell people that, that that's what it's for. And, uh, you know, it'd be good to, good for them to hear it here. So it's, it's definitely purpose built, but it's been, been really good. I mean, it was so good. Even Ryan Painter caught a fish on it. So,
1: oh, uh, look at that. That's,
4: that's pretty exciting. So <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a cool bait for sure. Um, and then size down from that's my four inch glide, um, which it, it, you know, it, you can count it down too, but it's more of a shallow glide, I would say. But uh the four inch is probably my most popular. Um, I started originally with the 10 and uh, that was, that was the first of the, the glides. And then I went to the shallow eight, but the four was the one after that. And um, I um I got talked into that by a lot of people everybody kept telling me your glides run so great your guys run so great why don't you make a small one because everybody loves small glides and there's not many on the market that that I would say run you know or, or they all run but you know not not as good as a lot of people wanted they seem to be a lot of friends that I fished with and people that I ran into where you know they really liked those those tiny little gliders and uh, that was a hard bait to make they're not easy to make that small and run that well usually in glides the bigger it is the easier it is to get it to run correctly um but that thing's been really smooth a lot of guides have picked them up um so it's it's probably far and away my most popular bait for sure
1: i imagine that'd be fairly popular at musky max too because i know guys up here like a lot of that small glide stuff
4: yeah it's um I didn't make enough for the show last year, and uh, I'm hoping that I made enough this year. That everybody kind of gets good choices on colors and stuff. I'm bringing uh, I'm bringing sixty of them, and it was no small challenge for me to make that many because I am a, a hobby builder. So, you know, it's done all done in my spare time. But you know, I'm bringing bringing quite a few of them. That's for sure because they're 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 wildly popular.
1: So that's a, that's actually a good question too. Cause you, I mean, you work full time, you're traveling a lot for work. Uh, mm-hmm. like Ryan, are you, you're not building baits full time, right? Are you, are you with no, the? I hobby? am,
2: uh, I am certainly a hobbyist. I'm in the healthcare field. I'm, uh, licensed, uh, to take all the, the pictures. I'm an x-ray tech. I'm a nuclear medicine technologist and, uh, CT tech, so I, you come in the hospital for any sort of imaging, it's it's likely that I can take it. <laughs> so that's what I do full time, and baits are certainly just a just a hobby.
1: So that's wild to me to think about this because I know Owen, you're in the same boat there too, where you guys all have full time jobs and you've got kids and family and everything else. Like, how the heck do you find time to to knock out you know these baits
0: for the show? Well, with, for me, it started kind of just as an escape from my kids in a, to a good degree. And I don't mean that in a, in a, in a terrible way, but when you, when your kids are a certain age and you know, now my kids are a little bit older, but when they were, you know, five years ago, when they went to bed and I could finally get them down to bed, like I needed something to to do, I needed some type of a creative outlet. And so I started doing it, you know, just in the evenings for two hours here and there. And then it became more serious. And now I now I spend a lot more time down here when it's ba- building time. But, you know, it's it's a labor of love. And I'm sure these guys would say the same thing. You, you enjoy it. It gets stressful. But, you know, it's we wouldn't do it if we didn't genuinely enjoy it because this, it, this is a hobby. You know, why are you doing a hobby? Why are you doing a hobby if you're miserable with it? Like this better be fun.
4: Yeah, it's uh, it's the same way for me. I've got young kids and the, uh, the majority of my bait building is done after everybody is in bed. And, you know, I look at it as I can sit and watch TV and rot my brain and not making, you know, not do anything fun or whatever. And sometimes I do do that, but most of the time, you know, I like to come either go out in the summertime. I like to go in my shop because I got an outdoor wood shop. And then um, in the wintertime, I'll spend all my time painting or epoxy in my in my basement. And see, uh, that's
0: I couldn't agree more, man. Like I look at yeah. I look around the people that watched and they're like arguing over what shows to watch and like all these different things. And I'm like, I don't have any idea how someone has time to to be into eight different Netflix shows and HBO shows and all this stuff like I, it, I just my time my leisure time is spent either with my kids doing something or in the shop being what I would consider productive um, you know it may not be productive in many people's eyes but in my eyes it's being productive so you just kind of it's time management like you you got to figure out how you want to spend that that whatever spare time you have how are you going to spend it? And guys like us that want to, I guess, need or want a creative outlet. That's how we choose to do it. Where there are a lot of people who don't want that in their life. And so they do something different and it's not, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, it's just kind of like I can tell we're like-minded in that sense.
5: Yeah.
4: You do. You know, I built, so I counted, I actually counted them up today 167 hard baits for musky max. Nice. And I cut, I cut the first piece of wood in July. As soon as our water got too hot to fish, I started cutting blanks. So if that gives people an idea on how long it takes you doing it two hours at a time to get that, build that many baits up, it's, you know, and, and this year I'm thinking about as soon as max is over, I'm going to start cutting blanks for the next max. Probably.
0: Now, did you do, have you done any other shows or is this the only show you do? No, this is the only one I can
2: manage. Yeah. What about you, Ryan? yeah same same for me. I think I like the idea of more, um, but realistically, just getting ready for this is such a strain um, that I think that at least for the for the near future, it's just going to be max and and that's it. Well,
0: I think that's the difference between us being hobbyists and you know guys that want to maybe do this as a, you know, a way to really make an income, which, you know, I, I don't have any, any interest in that, that, I want this to be my hobby. And, you know, you start going to every single show that starts getting really expensive. You know, you, you got to get hotel rooms at every show. You got to, you know, transport all your gear everywhere. It's like, you, you got to step it up a notch. And that, that's just not something that I really have any interest in, in getting myself into
4: it'd be a lot of time from home too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean it's hard enough to get a full weekend away from home, wife and kids, you know, it's 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 hard. But you start doing that every weekend and boy, yeah,
4: that that would add up real quick.
0: Yeah. So yeah.
4: when
1: when you guys are on the boat, say, you know, Andrew Ryan, you guys are out fishing together. Like I, the way I'm envisioning this is Andrew's throwing a glider. Ryan's throwing his, you know, his rubber. Like is that is that all you guys, like, if you go out for a day, is that what you're doing? Like Andrew, you, got, you, f- you got it backwards. Okay, so you guys flip-flop baits then?
4: Sometimes, most of the time, yeah.
2: Okay. And then we so, don't catch anything. My, my favorite thing to do is to catch a fish with Andrew on a glider that he didn't make. Like if it could be the perfect day, that would be it. Right there. <laughs> That's the perfect day. Yeah, then
0: it it
4: turns into a total meltdown the rest of the day.
0: Yeah, I I can I can understand that. You know, if someone catches a bait on another bucktail while they're fishing with me, I'd be a little, just a little annoyed.
1: Uh, I want to know how annoyed. Is this like mess with my my booth at a musky show annoyed? (laughs)
4: Yeah, or like grab baits out of tackle box and throw them in the river, kind of. of
0: Or just remove the drain plug before uh, before launching the boat. Yeah, well, I got
4: Uh luckily I'm smart enough. What I figured out was is you you know because I I fish with a lot of people and hop in a lot of boats and I figure out what what either a what they want to fish with or b what they don't like about mine that they don't want to fish it. You know what I mean? So I, I try to pay attention to stuff like that. And, you know, that's how you go down the rabbit hole of having 12 different model baits. But, um, you know, it's how you learn. I mean, if, uh, let's just say Ryan uses somebody else's glide. Well, why was he using that glide over mine? And why did the fish eat it that day over mine? Well, you know, you can drive yourself crazy with stuff like that, but, um, you know, that's how, that's how bait builders mind works a lot of times. And, and you, you can, you can try to outsmart your fishing buddies that way.
0: How much does and, it drive you crazy when, when someone comes up to your booth and you have like 11 different models, whatever, and you have them in like nine inch, eight inch, six inch. And they're like, do you have one in a 5.5 inch? Yeah. And I, you're like, Well, that's how, no.
4: that's how you end up with those sizes too. Guys I, are, I know you you're know, like, well, I got to try to make everyone that. happy. Yep. Yep. For sure. That's I, right. I think, I think this year I'm going to have to make like a little explanation sheet to hang up there. Cause you know, everybody's going to ask, well, what does this one do or what does this one do? You know, but I, I you know, you guys know how the muskie bait world works. Everybody's in pursuit of that magical bait that works everywhere. And there is no such thing. You know, my glide is not suitable for everybody of water on the planet. And, you know, but I do have a model that might be suitable to every situation and ryan sees the same things with the catfish i mean you know one guy wants it shallow one guy wants to rip and pull it one guy wants to straight retrieve it i mean yeah the possibilities are endless but you try to cater to as many as you can
2: that's how ryan i can't believe how conscientious people are of uh different colors uh people really because i'm not a pattern guy you know all the catfish that i use are either a straight black or B from like a hunk of remelted plastic that fell on my shop floor and, and looks disgusting. <laughs> so I'm not a, I'm not a pattern guy, but I mean, people come up and they're like, I'll have a, you know, a green pumpkin with a black flake. And they'll be like, well, do you have one with red flakes? Right. now that's all I got. It. And you yeah. know, and, I, and it drives me crazy. Oh, so this year, I, know. I really tried to like set my patterns up. I'm like, Do you really think that because this bait is gold with black scales and that one's black with gold scales? Like, I I just I don't see a fish deciding that he's gonna eat one and not the other. But maybe people will know a lot more than I do. So you gotta have whatever. a five bar perch, Ryan. Yeah. You gotta, yeah, that's what you they gotta have last five- year. It had four bars. Fish don't eat the yeah. four bar perch. Gotta <laughs> be That guy was serious too, I believe.
1: This is amazing. He's
4: probably, he's, he's, we probably just lost you a listener.
1: Oh, there you go. Just lost
3: the sale at the show. No,
0: nah, dude, you got to bring up a three bar perch this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that was pretty that was sure that
3: wild. was me. You have, <laughs> Are you really not bringing a five bar perch again?
2: <laughs> nope. I'll have to send you one.
1: This is crazy because this is how it is, dude. Like, like we're like musky fishermen are. we're ridiculous. Like in every aspect of the sense.
0: Yeah. You go over every year. I go over what are people going to want? Like what weights? And I guarantee you this year I'm making one and a half, three ounce and five ounce spinner baits. And people are going to want four ounces and six ounces and eight ounces. And I'm going to be like, I don't have it. Like, this is what I built. You know, this is what I've been fishing. This is what I've been prototyping. So to speak, this is what I know how they run. So this is what I got. Sorry. Uh, If you want me to work on something down the road, I'd be happy to happy to do that for you. But it's hard. You just can't make everyone happy.
1: This is why Donnie and I don't make baits.
0: (laughs)
4: Well, and another struggle as a bait maker too is that I've learned is that a pattern that I like for whatever reason, not everybody else likes, but you don't realize that you like, you make this, you paint up this beautiful bait and you're like, man, this thing looks great. I'd fish this all day. This is going to be the number one seller that I put out and you put it out and it's like, they want some random thing that you, you know that you didn't even think was going to sell. It's and it goes like that every show the one you think is going to sell out first never does.
3: I think what I've seen with the color thing uh more than anything else is that like I feel like the trolling guys mm-hmm. take color a lot more seriously typically than the uh the casters and I was that way you know when i first got into it obviously i primarily casted and i didn't pay any attention to color just like ryan said i I could care less almost everything i had was black or fire tiger just normal whatever you could get at a store or whatever but and i i still think a lot of people put too much stock in it uh Isn't it kind of
0: counterintuitive? Like, okay. So, so trollers, you're trolling at 3.8, 4.2 miles per hour. You're not casting anything at that fast. So if there's anyone who, you know what I mean? Like color.
3: I, I think what it is is that they don't have like, and I say they like, I don't troll, I troll too. But when you're trolling, you don't have much else to, to change or do like when you're casting there's all these different things you can do with the bait you can a good point. count it down yeah. you can work it high you can you know jig it rip it whatever you can you can impart different actions into it when you're trolling if you're just kind of trolling and what are you going to change well you're going to keep changing baits because that's that's what you got no it this, this one with the yellow, yeah, the, this one, yellow one didn't work, but the white one's going to go this time. I know it is. <laughs> you're going to do things like that. That's yeah, a good you, point. You I know, never thought
0: of it like that. When you're, when you're
4: trolling, you know, you could be trolling 12 hours and have six baits out and they all have different color bellies and you catch one fish. Well, I can guarantee you that any troller worth of salt is going to pull all the rest of the other five rods in and put on the same color bait that got hit and then yep. they there all of a sudden that bait works. So now you have six of them in the water. Well, is it because, is it because the fish wanted that color or did you just hit a window?
1: See, that's the thing though, is like, it, like talking about the trolling stuff is it it's kind of weird because I feel like you see that more with guys that are just kind of getting into trolling. Like when you, when you troll over X amount of time and you learn like, okay, there's different, there's a lot of different aspects that go into this, like speed and bait depth and all that other stuff. Like, I, I'm, I mean, I'm a believer of the color thing, but that's because I've seen, you know, one specific bait in a six bait spread, that color get hit repeatedly, but that doesn't always mean it's the color, right? Like that could be the specific action of that bait. It could be the depth that that bait's running. Sometimes there's more weight in in certain things and it's running a little deeper than you think. Like, there's a lot of different aspects there, but it's just easy as a troller to say, like the first thing you're going to look at is color. So. Yep. yep, They're eating the orange ones today. Let's
3: go get them all out.
4: Yeah. So you guys, I don't, I don't know if you guys listened to all the, when I was talking about it with Vance, um, I always take a couple trips up and go with Vance. And that's, that's like, uh, that's like my trolling trips. And, and that's how I got into trolling baits, too, was because I wanted to run my own baits so i wouldn't I didn't want to run somebody else's um, so a lot of my trolling expertise comes from Vance, and uh I always go and bring bring a handful of baits and, and the last two seasons, the bait that has been hit was one that I painted in a color that I liked, and i'll I'll never forget the first time I pulled it out, and he looked at that and was just like, you." You guys have been with Vance before. You you can just see the disbelief in his eyes. It was like, well, we're that thing's never gonna work because of that color. You know, you you know, Vance is a very experienced troller. He knows he knows what's gonna get hit and what's not. But he just looked at that thing and he said, well, let's put the pinky out. So we put it out, and uh, two years in a row now, that thing has been the only bait that's gotten hit, and it is not a Chautauqua color at all. It is very far from anything anybody would run up there that that fishes it regularly now is it because of that color i don't know vance says that it's you know you know he believes that it's the action and and obviously put it in the right spot at the right time so um you know i I, i'm probably leaning more towards what what vance says and and that it's you know the action of that bait being at the right place at the right time it's going to get hit regardless of what color it is
3: yeah and i agree with that but and then it's but it, it's still hard like mm-hmm. you know, oh it's tough. Deep down it's i feel like that's that's the way it is like you know it it doesn't matter what you're running if you got a bait that you know works you know like i whatever I, I everybody it's no secret i like the blue shad color you know on certain reservoirs but blue deep diver yeah the blue deep divers is a bait that i'm a big fan of but you know i I feel very confident even though you know like Chautauqua not a shad lake but I have I have a blue shad meatball that gets hit everywhere and I I don't believe that that bait wouldn't get hit at Chautauqua even though that yeah. you know that's not a color that necessarily is would be a go-to well I painted up, up lake, some but
0: I remember last year I painted up some blue shad uh, you know spinners and, and bucktail blades and people did not buy those ones. Like, I did i know you did like you might have been one of the only people that was like one of the what was one of the baits that was still there
3: i, yeah, I mean know. It, i felt bad because i recommended that color. that was no, my first no, staff was, color honestly i really go. no
0: i really liked i i really dug that color like as i was painting it i mean it i really liked it but as andrew was saying sometimes like certain things even though they fit your eye guys are just not gonna like I pay I do a lot with colors you know I'm I'm I like to be very colorful and I have a feeling a lot of guys don't like that you know they'd rather have much more you know subtle natural colors and so I'm making I'm making some more black baits this year but you know to each their own I can't be everybody's bait maker you know there's there's gonna be there's going to be people who like it and there's going to be people who don't. And you just kind of got to take the good with the bad and roll with it.
1: So I got, I got, I got a couple more questions here and these are just like generic ones. And we haven't asked a couple of these in a while, but I want to start, I want to start with this one. So question for Andrew and Ryan, what is your all time favorite musky moment to this point?
2: Go ahead, Rob. I mean, it's hard for me to go against the first one, but I guess I'll kind of I'll kind of rule that one out because the first one that you watch your granddad catch. I mean, that kind of that kind of takes the take cake for me, but beyond that, um probably when I built the original um uh, big catfish bait and um I it had maybe been in existence 2 weeks and I took it out on our river and caught a fifty incher with it. Um, that was a pretty satisfying moment, as not only a fisherman but a bait maker, kind of a combo deal there. So that's probably my moment, anyway.
1: I was going to actually ask you guys about that. You know, like the first fish that you caught on your bait, but that's a that's a doozy right there, dude. A fifty on on a bait that existed for two weeks
2: yeah because you never know like what you all were talking about earlier with uh you know the color and the troll and that's a huge bait maker problem too right you don't have you have limited data uh so you get you know i fish these rivers in virginia you know the numbers that i put up for a year are relatively i mean they're, they're nothing compared to what some trollers could put up but even then you're not getting that many bites you lose two or three fish on a brand new bait and you're like was it the bait's fault is is this just bad luck uh so it's hard to develop a new bait um because you don't get that many bites Um, so when you take one right out of the mold like that and that was that was the third fish that i caught on it i mean it was that bait was red hot from the moment i took it out of the mold so you catch uh two pretty small ones and then you pop a 50 uh, on a bait that like I said, has only been in existence two weeks it's like we may be onto to something here <laughs>
0: now now Tom good feeling. tom's good Tom's the guy that is into pouring rubber so I'll ask this question for him how do you do your molds like do you do them yourself or do you have them cNC molded or like CNC or like how do you how do you do that and without giving away your trade secrets
2: No I mean I'm pretty open about that. Uh, it started off with me from clay. Um, like I'm sure a lot of people start off, you're, you're making the silicone your from clay and then you're molding it with silicone. Um, since then I've started playing around with different things. I taught myself, uh, how to run CAD programs. So I've had some baits printed. I've had some molds printed. Um, I haven't, I haven't dove into aluminum for my specific baits yet, but that is probably going to be in the near future um hopefully i would like to go that route right because the the bad part about you know hand carving everything is each one of my models are they're all a little different you know whereas if I, you know now that i have 3d models drawn i can have five different sizes um that are you know symmetrically identical baits um, right. which is where i would like to get it. so Again, that's kind of where we're moving, but when you're a hobbyist you move at a snail's pace. So, uh, we'll get there one of these days, I guess.
0: Do you, uh, have you started 3D printing things?
2: Yeah, I've been doing that for a little while now. So, my most uh, you know, people people could probably look at it and figure it out if they know what they're doing. My newest model, uh, the the tomcat is a is a 3D printed master that I have molded myself. So, I'm still still, you know, doing the molds out of silicone. Um, and I have some molds that are actual 3d printed molds um that stuff is a great it's a great avenue into aluminum at least that's what i've been using it for but the the programming is tough to to learn on your own um and if you pay somebody to do it it's outrageous so it was uh it was quite the time investment for me you know teaching myself to do all the all the cad stuff because it's like learning a new language really.
0: Yeah, I mean, you you're in the healthcare field. You're not in the you know. It seems like a lot of guys that are naturally in like a mechanical field or some type of woodworking, some type of carpentry. They are naturally inclined to this type of thing. Where it's interesting to hear, you know, someone from a totally different field into into this. That's cool.
2: Yeah, I mean, I credit I credit my granddad for that. I've I've told people that on my page. I mean, when I got started into Bates i hadn't built anything i mean i couldn't build a box with a two by four i mean i had no no skill at all um and now it's crazy the practical knowledge that you learn like there's not a whole lot out there that's harder to build than a high quality uh wood bait that that runs as it should like after you spend a couple years in the shop and you learn all about wood and resins and 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 all this stuff it's amazing what you can do i mean now i see See virtually anything. I say, well, I could build that. um So definitely, it was definitely foreign to me. But
1: talking yeah. my language a little bit with AutoCAD, a little AutoCAD, little Bentley Microstation. I don't yeah. use, I don't use it, but I can support it.
3: Not talking my <laughs> language that stuff at all. Well I don't recommend speaking Chinese.
2: It. It <laughs> Same here, off, Donnie. I was like, Man. Yeah, people were going to charge you know a couple grand to do all this stuff, and I'm like. I'm not paying somebody a couple thousand dollars to design one of my baits and get these molds cut. Like I'll figure it out on my own. But well, if I would have just spent my time in the shop making some baits, I could have paid for them a whole lot quicker than I could have beat my head <laughs> into the wall at that laptop. So I don't recommend anybody to start. Just pay somebody to do it. <laughs>
1: well, I want to jump over to Andrew real quick and ask him that same question. You know, what's your favorite musky moment?
4: Uh, yeah i would probably say i've got quite a few but um probably like ryan said that first one I, the first one was uh, the 10 inch glide that i made the original i've since changed it quite a bit but the original was uh the first one i took out it had been rattle canned and uh, the first day i took it out i caught a fish on it it wasn't no 50 but you know it was probably more like a two-footer but it the feelings the feelings all the same when you you drag something out of your shop and go to the river with it and you catch a fish on it the first trip. I mean, you're just beside yourself. You're like, well, I, now I got to do this again. You know, and you, and in the, the field, the same thing continues. You know, I can remember, I can remember the first fish caught on every model bait. So, um, you know, that's just a, that's just a pretty exciting thing, really. From a, I mean, that's why you do it as a bait maker. Really. Uh, you, you, you do it one time, on your on a bait that you made that's the first round of excitement and then you you make another and sell it to a guy and he sends you the net shot i mean you that's know, that's just, that's in, yeah it's almost it, as good yeah it's almost
0: as good i mean it as a bait maker it's almost as good like when i get some random net shot and it's someone catching a fish on a on one of my bucktails or spinner baits it it makes my day man you know, and and, much, and I didn't, I didn't get off the, I didn't get out of my office or do anything different. And so uh, I had a part, some small little part in someone have catching a fish that is so special to so many people.
4: Yeah. And one of the, one of the good things, like uh, being relatively new to the bait making industry, I mean, I've been doing it for over three years now, four years, but it's still I still get a lot of the new guys. When you're the newer bait maker, you're going to get a lot of the newer musky fishermen, which is almost better because those guys get so freaking excited when they send you a net shot on a bait they just got. You know they're they're just excited to the moon, and that's that's a lot of fun. It really is. You know, you I get a lot of new guys that are new to glides, and uh, mine are pretty easy to use for guys new to glides. So they they just you know. They they send you that, that two page text with their picture. and That's just, that's the best thing in the world, really. I mean, I don't even have to fish and that excites me.
0: That is awesome, man. Yes. I like even tomorrow, tomorrow night, I'll be seeing, uh, one guy at the, at the lure swap who is just so excited to tell me all about the fish he caught on my baits this year. And, you know, it's just, I'm looking forward to hearing it. You know, it's just that it's it's great to hear that somebody out there is enjoying something that you put your time and effort into away from your family, away from, you know, whatever other hobby you could be doing or thing you could be doing.
4: I don't know. That's what
0: validates you, man. At least it does oh, for, for me. Sure.
4: Yeah, no doubt. That makes you keep going for sure.
0: So I got, I got, go ahead. Aaron. I was going to say, what's the biggest fish caught on one of your baits so far, Andrew? Uh...
4: Not that big by me. Um not by you, but or like
0: any anybody.
4: The biggest, I believe it's fifty and a quarter or so. Okay. Around that's, that mark. Yeah. that's a good one. Yeah, for glides, that's
2: pretty good.
0: That's a good one, yeah. All right. Brian? Somebody got,
2: called a somebody called a fifty-four on my bay. You say Green Bay? Yeah.
0: Nice. Oh wow. That's awesome. Dude, that's what like weird. one of the big catfish
2: uh, I always I'm like a huge advocate for the big catfish. I'm always telling people to throw it because it's caught the most 50s by far um but that one actually came on a kitten, which is the size down um, so I can't claim the the catfish for the the biggest fish ever even though it has the the best quality overall
0: so the the kitten how much smaller is that than the catfish?
2: So the catfish, you know, once the tail is, is fully extended, it's about 18 inches and just under a pound. So, I mean, it's a pretty pretty significant piece of rubber. Um, the kitten is about 12 to 14 inches once you extend the, the tail out, and it weighs about eight ounces. So it's a much more, much more castable lure. That's by far my most popular bait Um, because it's still a pretty good profile um, but it's a lot easier to fish that's wild dude yeah
1: that's awesome all right two two quick questions and we can we can wrap this up everybody's looking tired unless you guys want to stay on but i gotta ask this because i haven't asked it in a while what is andrew and ryan's boat snack of choice what's your favorite snack on the boat
2: you want to take it andrew have we ever eaten anything on a boat?
5: <laughs>
2: Does that answer your question?
3: Uh, yeah. So you don't have the grill mount on the jet?
4: No. Oh. No. a lot of times with Ryan and I, we're lucky to have anything to eat or drink on the boat. Uh, Ryan usually snags uh, Sour Patch Kids out of my truck
3: door. Oh, yeah. Now we're talking. That's a good one. Yeah, I, I prefer I'm... the watermelons, but yeah, those are good too.
2: My snack would probably be anything deer related, deer jerky or deer baloney. If I've got, yeah, it. if if there's a snack in the boat, it'll
4: probably be deer baloney, deer jerky, snack sticks, that kind of thing.
1: Dude, I don't know that one single guest of ours has like actually given us. Everybody's just like, yeah, we don't eat on the boat. Yeah, and I'm sitting <laughs> here thinking like, I get, I bring like four thousand lures with me and like a cooler full of like cr- like crackers and sour patch kids and East granola bars <laughs> like i yeah, i bring it all like i i'm a diabetic so it's a little it is a little different yeah it hate, is different i would hate <laughs> for me to like hit a sugar low and and donnie has to wipe me up off the bottom of the boat not like it's not going to happen anyway because i'm bound to fall at some point
3: every <laughs> <day>. <laughs> but well there's Still. not a lot of floor space to actually walk after he puts all his shit on in his defense that's usually why we end up falling and hooking his, ourselves and everything else yeah
0: that's true this all right true. i gotta i gotta ask a question of both both bait makers here <laughs> And I think they both probably know what's coming if they listen to the the podcast. But what go. epoxy? What what epoxy do you guys prefer?
4: I'm clearcast.
0: Okay.
2: I've I've used it all: clearcast, ex74, true the old Envirotex, and it's not a ton of difference in any of it. But I've settled I've settled on the clearcast myself. Okay. All
4: right. Yeah, I'm the i I'm the same way. I've used them all and I'm I'm a clear cast.
2: I'm not tied to it. Like I'm not for me it's more because it's easy and I can get it locally. I don't have to I don't have to order it. I can get it in smaller batches. Um so it doesn't, doesn't have time to yellow. Right,
0: it um, doesn't go bad.
2: Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Yeah,
4: I I I I rank EX seventy four and clear cast pretty closely, but the EX seventy four is hard to find you can't find it in the small containers and it yellows before you end up using it. Okay. So that's so that's where the disadvantage to that one lies.
0: Yeah, if I was
2: doing if I was doing big volume, I would probably do EX seventy four.
0: but I just don't have the volume to justify it. And what was your experience with true code?
2: You wanna go down that? You know, I don't
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> I don't have anything bad to say about it, uh, myself. Because that's what Not I'm probably, I'm using
0: but... now, and I'm I'm struggling with it a little bit. But it's I, I don't know. I have, my, my my co- was, I have a hard time getting it to cut. I have a hard time getting it to to get a real hard finish, like a real hard set. because yeah. it doesn't.
2: I think that's uh, Andrew. I think Andrew could maybe <laughs> would maybe agree with you there. My my experience was it just wasn't the holy the holy grail that it was made out to be. Um, I thought it was fine, but it's just people people like to act like it's the 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 holy grail and the only option. And that's just that just isn't what I've seen. But it's again, marketed I really well. I wasn't unhappy with it.
1: It's marketed very well.
2: <laughs> that's,
0: true. that's It is, Yeah. And and you know, I've I hear it that I ask that question for a reason because you know, everyone's got an opinion and I think it's I like hearing everyone's opinion because just like everyone knows an opinion is just that an opinion, like it, some guys I'm sure would swear by true coat, you know, there's, you know, so it's just kind of, I like hearing other people's experiences and it, it's not going to taint me. I'm, I'm still going to use all of this true coat that I have and I'm going to see how it all works out and then see where I go from there.
4: Well, that's like throwing dollar bills away if you get rid of it. So you got to
1: use it. up. Right. Right. Sure we can think it's, of a few different ways to spend dollar bills, better than that. <laughs> but oh, I can't think of any teeth better teeth.
0: ways to use epoxy. Like there's no other way to use it.
4: Pour it over your tabletop, your bar.
0: <laughs> That's true. My wife Very has yucky. asked. My wife has asked if the epoxy would would work on on her countertops. Like wood oh, a, on a, on a wood countertop.
4: Oh
5: 100%. Yeah.
4: Yeah, I've got a couple of, a lot of times when the epoxy gets old or it starts to yellow, I'll just mix up, mix it up all at once and then go pour it on my, some of my shop tops, the table tops oh, yeah. on my shop. Yeah, it's hard as to rot. Nice. I mean, it's Kinda pretty much indestructible after you do that.
1: That's a good idea, dude. I never really thought of that. I mean, I don't, I don't deal with epoxy a whole lot, but. I'm more of Very a, gri- I'm, I'm more of a gorilla glue type guy over here. <laughs> <laughs> gorilla glue and gorilla tape. Every, that's how JB, I fix that. JB weld it all. Yeah, that's how I fix everything in this house. It's just gorilla tape
0: and gorilla glue. It's all good.
1: So I have one more question, unless somebody else has a question.
0: I might have a couple, I might have one more, but go ahead.
1: All right. So one of the things I haven't asked in a while, I want to kind of get back to this because we're seeing a lot more guys getting involved in the sport of musky fishing. At least, you know, I can say that for sure here. Um, I'm running into guys like, you know, I haven't fished that much, but the one day I got out, a lot of guys are telling me I'm new to muskie fishing, got into this stuff. And like, what, from your, your perspective, like you guys have been doing this for a while. Is there like one piece of advice that you would give to a new muskie fisherman that would be like, One of the more important things that you, that people need to hear, if that's fair or something you find Uh, useful.
2: I would say where we're at, the hot water is a huge thing that that people have no idea about. Um, You know, I fished for years through the heat of the summer um, and never thought anything of it. And I was kind of, I kind of bucked, you know, the system whenever, you know, you started hearing people talk about it's too hot to fish. I thought they're crazy. You know, I fished for years and haven't had any trouble um, but the studies that they've done recently have you know Andrew probably knows more about it but to my knowledge they pretty much proved that delayed mortality is a thing um, which is something people always argue you know they did catch some fish and water over 80 and uh, release them and they die a short time later and sink to the bottom um, they prove that with different uh, tags and tracking so Um, to me, that was kind of a case closed, you know, when the water gets over 80 in the South, it's time to, to hang them up. That's something I'm big on telling new people.
1: That's good. And that's like, uh, that's the time to go chase some smallies, right? Yeah. I mean, you can,
2: uh, down here in the summer, you can float and catch a hundred smallies a day, no problem through late June, July, and August. Um, and I, for years I was, you know, really, really hard into muskie fishing, um, but now I almost look forward to the summer heat up. I mean, because it's a lot of fun to just go bust mollies all day long and actually catch some fish. So, What is the open season? season.
0: What is open season on muskies down there? I mean, mean, do you have a closed season?
2: No, legally you can fish all year. I mean, typically, you know, we're fishing now. Uh, They'll start spawning uh, mid to late March uh, through late April. Um, there's no law
0: saying you can't fish for them. Really? So that surprises me. Percent. Yeah. You know, that surprises that's me. You know, that's one off. of the reasons the explanation that we don't have a closed season is because we don't have any natural reproduction. So, what the hell? You know, why not? Yeah.
4: Yeah, we, I think it's. We were, I mean, we were in. hoping to get a close. We were hoping to get a closed season out of the hot water study, but I don't think it'll ever happen.
2: Yeah, I would rather see a closed season uh, in the summer down here for sure because. The fish are finicky in the spawn, and it's not a ton of people on the water at that time of year, uh, relatively speaking. So the number of muskies that are gonna be, you know, accidentally caught is is very, very minimal. But in July and August, when the water's hot and fish can get aggressive, and there's tons of people floating the river and bass fishing, there are a lot of muskies that are accidentally caught. And a lot of them do die because they're caught by bass fishermen. And uh, they, or not handled property. don't have the nets don't have anything don't have any knowledge um so to me the the july and august months are a much much bigger issue here than the spawn yeah, for sure
1: yeah that's it i mean that's interesting you guys get i mean you're a little further south so you know i'm assuming weather-wise it, it heats up probably quicker than even here but you know we get mm-hmm. depending upon the summer i mean we get up our temps get above 80 pretty quick depending upon the year that we have i mean i've seen i've seen years too like where you know we're sitting like 77 78 and and guys are you know still fishing i know i mean i i fish when it's still 76 77 78 degrees and we have we've had that multiple times you know where we never hit 80 but there's years where we're, you know i'm sure even higher than that 85 86 87 So, yeah, that's, I mean, that's interesting. It's a little different than it is here or a little bit further north. Like you
0: get up into New York, but
1: you know, that's probably. Has
0: has the West Virginia study like come out? Because I know they were doing a pretty significant uh, study on the delayed mortality in hot water, but I don't know if the report, has it actually been published? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's been
4: published. It's, um, Trying to think of the best place to tell you to go find it. I know it was in the Muskie Inc. magazine pretty okay. recently. Um they did so it was, it was a two part study. So the one was done in West Virginia with Chase. You know, he was heavily involved in that. And then right. they did it on the James River in uh the, the, they call it the Lower James, but uh they were both bu- it was two two grad students, one running each study. So they wanted a river study and a lake study. So they did Stonewall Lake and the James River. Um, our muskies, Inc. chapter, we went down trying to catch them. We were trying to catch the tag fish for the biologists, you know, because that was the idea. Basically, they'd throw a tag in it. Somebody would catch it. Then they'd come back and try to track it and see if it died. Um, and I was fishing on the James one weekend for them, Uh you know we we would get maps we would get the ping maps on where these fish were so we could try to go target them um and i was there one time the water was 86 um so it was yeah it was pretty hot and basically what we kind of figured out was when it gets like that hot for that amount of time you know for weeks on end uh they just don't eat they're basically going to survival mode and they're really hard to get to, to get to bite anything. So the river study was ended up being a lot different than the lake study. Um, They did catch and kill some. So, you know, it proved that, proved the point more or less. Um, But the lake study there, they had a lot more data in the lake than, than what, what they did on the river. And the, basically the lake was, the problem was the fish were going into the thermocline. And if you pulled them out of that into the, hot surface temperatures, then you were, you know, you are putting a pretty big hurting on them.
1: That seems to be like, that seems to be one of the biggest challenges with that too, is like, you know, long line and baits and deep water and stuff like that. When you're pulling fish out of the thermocline, like, I mean, to me, that's definitely more deadly than say like short lining and three feet of water. I mean, it's, it's all the same, but you know, it is kind of different when you're pulling the, pulling those fish from say twenty. 25 feet down, you know, mm-hmm. and that's kind of, that's always the interesting topic because, like here our reservoirs are pretty shallow, mm-hmm. you know, like like in all year long, like guys short line and stuff in, in three to seven feet of water. And it's like, I always just wondered about that, you know, the differences because even like the oxygen levels in the water are different depending upon where you're at. It's just, that's kind of a very interesting topic, you know, overall just to kind of, I don't know that any of us really have like enough. I mean, you guys were involved in some of that, but none of us are biologists. None of us like really, you know, there's not a lot of information out there, which I think like that study in particular, like that's gonna, to me, anytime you get information like that, it's never a bad thing, right? No, because, you know, we
0: deal with so much anecdotal evidence in the musky world where, you know, everyone's saying, yeah, my, my cousin caught this, you know, it died or, you know, it's like, okay, that's not a scientific study. You know, just it's like that whole thing with the, you can, you can uh, save a, a bleeding musky by pouring soda in its gills. Well, I mean, that, and that was kind of like the, the, the old wives tale, like you could do that. And then, you know, they did a study on it and it was like, nope, that doesn't do anything to it whatsoever. Is that true? So,
1: like, yeah, is, I mean, I know, I know about the the Coke stuff, but like. I know guys that keep like coke in their boat for that reason. Like, just um, yeah, no,
0: life. it was it was I forget there was a, I, another one of the other podcasts had one of the biologists. I don't know if it was I, I don't even want to say I but it was debunked, you know, basically. Yeah, like, I know. It what you're not yeah,
4: listen to that, too.
0: Yeah. And it wasn't in like a mean way. It was just kind of like, no, that just doesn't it may stop it for a very short period of time and it may appear to stop the bleeding, but it does not in fact like so, repair anything, you know, like actually stop it.
1: Does anybody ever cut themselves on the boat and try to pour Coke on it? Nope.
0: I was <laughs> curious. No, I'm, no. I've poured
1: super glue on shit before. Well, yeah, that works. I, I know that from experience. Just... <laughs> just a little bit. Andrew, Andrew, what the... What's your piece of advice for for new musky guys?
4: It's uh, a good question because I think I think uh, give you guys a little bit of plug. Your podcast is one of the best for new guys to listen to because you guys give out a lot of newbie information, so to speak. Um, you know, you give well just experiences experiences that new guys are gonna run into, and you guys you guys talk about that a lot, so that's cool. Um, but I would my biggest recommendation would be uh take a guide book a guided trip because those guys are on the water every day they're gonna outfish you 100 to one they know the body of water especially if it's like your home body of water and you intend on fishing there if you really want to shorten your learning curve go with a guy because they know it better than you they know it better than most anybody else um they're also going to give you proper handling instructions, gear recommendations. You'll actually get to try their gear, figure out what you like or don't like. Um, you know, and some guides are more open than that's others. That's a great but, point.
0: Uh, let me just it's, ca- it's, it's, let it's, me just—you're going to
4: shorten the lear- learning curve so quick.
0: Let me just say that's a great point that I, didn't, I never really thought about. And that is, when you go out with a guide, you get to try the guide's gear and see like what type of gear. I'll never forget when the first time I fished with Reagan and I caught a fish, like I was back there Googling, you know, how to buy the, you know, a a Shimano Tranks and, you know, the exact rod, you know, because I was like, okay, this shit works, you know, whereas if you don't get to put, you don't get to try things very often, like, you know, hey, you don't get to just take it out and try it, whereas with a guide you can.
1: Yeah. I don't think anybody's ever... I don't think anybody's ever brought that up. I never thought about the gear stuff. Mm-hmm.
0: I I mean i I can say f- for sure, some of my first experiences in buying gear was buying what I fished with with Reagan.
4: Yeah, I mean those guys, you know, they're gods for a reason. They're doing it for a living, and they're doing it every day. They, you know, I would I would have never been in a. a a Ranger 2088 if I didn't fish with Vance, you know. I, got, I get to see what those look like, how they run, all that good stuff. Ask lots of questions. I mean, you know, I can haul my boat to Chautauqua and probably catch a fish, but I'm never going to learn as much as I'll learn on a day trip with Vance. I mean, that's just a, it's just a no-brainer for me. I, I I catch a little bit of grief from buddies sometimes. They're like, why are you going with these guides? You know, you just go fish yourself. I'm like, why not go with the guide? Especially if it's a lake that." I'm not familiar with, I mean, I'd rather go and have a good time and learn something than go out and struggle in my own boat.
0: Well, I think that, that hits the nail on the head with, you know, what we've talked about in prior podcasts that, you know, I don't think any of us have the ego that says that we are so good that, you know, we're, we're, we're just, we're, we're we are we we are just we we do not need help. You know, we, mm-hmm. we don't need that. Like common sense says that, especially as hobbyists, if you can spend some time with someone who is a professional and learn from them, that's going to expedite your learning curve tenfold. Yep. I mean, yep. how many of us has, have spent days on the water with people who don't know what the hell they're doing and what was, what was that time on the water worth?
4: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, I hundred percent agree. I mean, I've been out with, been out with Vance and I've gone with Chase quite a few times and, you know that's two totally different learning experiences, but man, the information is invaluable you can get from these guys. And you know they're there to make a living. And uh, you know when you do pay for a guided trip, take advantage of it and ask as many questions as you possibly can think of.
1: See, like at the like at Muskie Max, they, they do that guide panel. But like even before that, I always heard that. Like when I was first getting into the sport, it's like oh that's like, that's like a marketing ploy, right? Like to me, that's what that was initially. But like, after I started fishing with guides and like Todd Young and, you know, like Vance and Bang & Bottom and and just all these guides around here, like you quickly learn that that is like 100% accurate and a relevant recommendation. And, and, you know, we've, we've talked to guys that they're kind of on the fence about that. You know, let's be honest, it's expensive. Right? Mm-hmm. Like you're gonna go out and you're gonna spend four hundred something dollars a day to go out and chase these fish. But that the point that you brought up, Andrew, to me again, that's like you gotta be able to ask questions and you gotta be you gotta have the personality too. I think sometimes sometimes we're a little like I don't wanna say like timid or nervous or you just kind of feel like you're gonna ask a dumb question.
5: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, like dude, if you can get past that and just ask the questions and talk all day. You you seriously get so much out of that stuff; it's ridiculous.
4: Yeah, I mean, one way to look at it too is if you're going to go, let's say you're going to take you're going to take a musky camp weekend week and go fishing somewhere. Well, why not book it? Book the first day with the guide. Most of them will teach you. Swanky. Yeah, Yeah, and because but if you didn't do that, you might spend the whole week burning fuel. And never catching a thing. I mean, couldn't agree costly. more, man. That, that's costly too.
0: My I dad to. and I went to Nipissing that very first year. We, I got, I got the guide on the last day, and I just realized that man, we were kind of close, but man, we were just not, we were not doing what we needed to be doing, and so we more or less wasted a week on the water. But hey, it's a lesson learned.
4: Yeah, I mean, that's in in my fishing career, that's one of my biggest regrets was when i started you know we just kind of did it on our own it was me and a buddy we both had the same experience level and we just tried to figure stuff out ourselves and you know i feel like looking back on it you waste a lot of time trying to figure that stuff out now i mean there's a certain amount of fun in figuring it out yourself but when it comes to like like i said with the gear the fish handling um knowing the spots or sometimes a spot on the spot and all that stuff. There's just so much, so many little things you're going to learn from a guide and you're going to pick it up so much faster. Um, yeah. It just, it's the only way to go if you're new.
3: I've tried to make it a point since I started doing this to at least get out with a guide, you know, once or twice every season. And on different bodies of water, different different guides I, i've fished with some of them uh, you know more than once as well but uh I, I just think i mean for the money we spend on lures and rods and boats and, and everything else like it, mm-hmm. it it really isn't that i mean you're it's crazy to not take advantage of something like this if you're going to invest the money that we invest into muskie fishing in general like you know, Kellen and I have actually had this conversation before. You know, he he's talked about upgrading his boat. You know, looking at like a big range or something like Vance has, and it's like times we we've thought like, are we better to just book a trip with Vance once a month rather than make Ooh. a five hundred dollar a month boat payment? Right. You know, that's or, a or very something good like point. That. Like you're you're gonna probably catch more fish. You know. <laughs> Again, there's the aspect of wanting to do it on your own and learn, and, you know, and all that. Like Andrew talked about, I don't know that I would ever want to go that route. But it but is there are
0: limits to what you can do realistically on your own, meaning that Vance can fish waters that other people can't. Now, Donnie, your boat is is capable of of tackling fairly big, pretty big water, you know, yeah. but most people don't have that you know so to be able to fish big water which big water equals big fish you almost have to
3: not always get on someone else's not boat
0: not always but you know you, you got to get on someone else's boat so why not get on a guide's boat and pick their brain and you know use that time you know to maybe figure out okay maybe i do want a bigger boat maybe i do want to do this but i don't know i mean i agree Taking time with guides is just invaluable to me.
1: You think, like, another thing here is I really feel like this particular topic is based on the person's personality. Because some guys, some guys talk about, like, I love going to new bodies of water and trying to figure it out. And and I love the experience of, like, starting from scratch. Like, me, no, (laughs) no, I don't, I don't really care for that. I want to go to, you know, I want to spend time on a specific body of water and I want to fish the crap out of it that year. And I want to be productive. I want to be able to catch fish and learn specific areas on that body of water. Like, so I can replicate that year after year. You know, like, I think everybody's different. Like Ryan, like, are are you guys, Ryan, Andrew, you guys, like, what do you prefer there? So
2: I'm probably... I'm probably like the guy you just mentioned in a way. Like, I, I hate, uh, I want to do it on my own. I hate feeling like I'm being spoon fed something by somebody else. I would rather go out and torture myself and figure it out. But I don't, uh, I don't advise people to be like that. I think it's very smart, uh, to hire a guy to, to take help. Um, I think it just comes down to your personality. I don't like, uh, I like the 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 fact of knowing I did it on my own and, and figured it out on my own. I don't want people to uh to to give me any answers, and I'm kind of the same way in bait making i mean i I essentially have asked nobody any questions ever I mean just some minor stuff here and there, but I wanted to to figure it all out on my own and in doing that, there was a lot of things that I figured out, and I'm like, holy cow. If I would have just asked some people some stuff, I could have saved a whole lot of headaches. So you're probably better to do that way. Um, It's just a personality thing, I guess.
3: Yeah, I mean, like, that's where, because I have a bit of stubbornness, I feel like myself, uh, that I Mm want to do it on my own, too. But uh, I'm not, I don't know, I'm not against getting that. That nudge in the right direction to start. And that's where, like, you know, I've gone with a bunch of different guides, mostly on different bodies of water. You know, I've I fished with Brian Clark and Vance and Todd on Pime and Chautauqua. I've fished with Chad Harmon on some Ohio lakes. Uh
0: well, so I think rip. that's a little different because you're you're expanding. You know what right. I mean? You're doing this on each different body of water, which if you're You know, so you're essentially learning about all these different bodies of water from the professionals on that bodies of water, which I think is kind of the best of
3: all the worlds
0: in the sense that you're not using the same guide on the same body of water all the time,
3: right? And and I think what I've what what I think is really cool about it is how many times I've, you know, we've talked about it in the past where it's like fishing is very regional, but you know, I I go to St. Clair. And I fish with, you know, uh, fishing the D guide service, Rick with Casey. I catch a nice muskie on St. Clair, but I also learn, you know, how he works a pounder bulldog. And I come back and I do that on the river here. And I, you know, I've, I've had success doing things that I learned from him that work on St. Clair here, you know, on the Allegheny river in Pennsylvania too. So I don't know. I just, to me, it's, it's, it's worth every penny.
5: Yeah.
4: And I'm kind of like, if I'm, if I'm going somewhere within two hours of my house, then I'm going to be, I'm going to be exploring on my own. I mean, I just, you know, I feel comfortable going and doing that and it's fun. It's a fun challenge to, you know, explore some new areas on your own. Now, if I'm driving, like Donnie said, if I'm driving to St. Clair and spending, you know, eight hours in a car and all that fuel and hotels and everything else, like I want to go catch a fish. So I'm going to book a guide. I mean, it's just, that's just plain and simple. That's what I'm going to do. And, you know, I know a lot of guys don't think that way, but at least the first time I go to that body of water, I'm going to be on a guide boat. You know, maybe I take my boat the next time after I kind of got the lay of the land and whatnot, but you know, there's no way I'm going up there dragging my boat that far and beating my head against the wall.
1: Yeah.
3: I, I agree with you, Andrew.
1: This is interesting stuff because I think a lot of people can relate to that. You know, like, what do you do? And I, and I, I mean, I agree with all of it. And I'm not saying that I don't like to explore new water and stuff like that and fish new places. Cause I do, you know, but like looking at the, looking at my year and every, again, everybody's different. And like, Andrew, you might be able to relate to this. Like when you have a job that you've got to travel and you're working tons of overtime and stuff, still trying to manage a family and whatnot, like. Dude, sometimes like I just need that routine trip to the body of water that I'm familiar with. And I want to learn the crap out of it. So I have multiple options with the limited amount of time that I have. You know, we all want to catch fish. Like we all want to get out there and catch fish for sure. And in the musky world, it doesn't always happen. Like, I mean, how many times have we been blanked over the course of, you know, a year? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know about you guys, but I don't my catch rate, like, I had probably the best year. Like numbers wise, I've ever had last year, but you know there was still a lot of days where we didn't even sniff, you know, close to a muskie. So I yeah, know.
4: I had my worst my worst year last year.
1: It's like join, every dude join the club. Every year is so. different though. Like that's the thing. Like mm-hmm. it's
3: so it's so bent on like how much time you get out there. Actually, I actually had a pretty good year considering how much I got to fish. So I can't right. complain not to rub right. it in or anything. Your
1: catch rate was pretty high last year. Like you, was, you I mean, advantage. it was,
3: I I do feel like, uh, I don't know if that's, you know, attributed to, to starting to gain a little more experience or whatever, but I didn't get to fish nearly as much as I have in the past, but I felt like I maximized that time. You're probably consistent. Better you were I
0: very have. consistent in the, you, like you were putting one fish in the boat pretty, pretty consistently.
3: Yeah, I didn't, I didn't take a ton of skunks. I mean, it's musky fishing. Yeah. I took, I took my lumps. We always do. But now the year before <laughs> that, I remember
1: uh-huh. you being on a very poor streak like many of us. Yep. Do you feel like like also the, every year is different too. And that's what I think new musky anglers need to realize. Like you're like, every year is different. Like we've had scenarios where like, say, go back to 2020. Like that was one of the best years. A lot of people had. And, you know, part of it was COVID people were off of work and stuff like that. But that was generally like a really good, like weather year, like the water levels on our reservoirs were good. And then we had like the following year, like we had low water and we had issues with like all sorts of different, you know, weather patterns and things. And like, I just feel like new musky anglers in general need to realize, like, it's not easy to catch these fish and you can't beat yourself up for taking skunks, you know, cause it's going to happen every year is different
3: soon as you think you haven't figured out they always show you that you don't the The old dunning kruger
0: (laughs) effect
1: yeah
3: exactly
1: it's wild man i think all this is good chatter though especially for new guys absolutely so just to kind of recap this because we're we're probably approaching the two-hour mark and i know you guys are probably tired everybody's got to go to work tomorrow so just for uh you know just to recap this like Ryan and Andrew, why don't you guys give us a quick rundown of your bait company again and uh, where people can find you guys on social media. Check your stuff out. You know, and certainly, hopefully, anybody listening to this will at least stop by and check out your baits, give you guys, uh, you know, uh, get a conversation and talk through some of it. So, where uh, where's a good spot to find you and all that good jazz? Uh, spray yeah.
4: Ball,
2: you want to go first round? No, you got it. You got it. Go ahead
4: uh spray bomb bait company on facebook um i have a public page and a private group i do most of the sales in in the private group um you can just shoot you can uh, request to join and I'll I'll let you in um 7
0: 799 only fans yeah yeah no nah,
4: it's i i do stuff the uh y'all's favorite dk style draw device. so um yeah, those those seem to be the most fair thing that I've worked
0: out. So, yeah, um, I mean, now that I think about it, I mean, I, and my rant was was really trying to be in in positive in the sense of how much I wanted to buy the guy's baits. You know what I we're mean? Going back, to yeah, I'm going back to it. Oh, but yeah, no, I know.
4: get it. I get all the frustration. I understand all the frustrations with it. I, I, you know, because I buy baits too, so I know, I, I know how how frustrating it can be. And, and I don't necessarily like it either. It's just when you've got 50 guys messaging you on baits and you're a part-time builder, you just, you just can't keep up. So, I mean, you just gotta, that's like the most fair way to do it that I have, that I'm aware of, Um, you know, so that's kind of what I do. Um, The last, I've done the show for three years. I bring the vast majority of the baits to the show because, I get to talk to people and shake their hand and hear the fish stories. And I feel like it's a more personable way to sell bait. So I try to, uh, bring the the, the vast majority of the stuff that I sell comes to Matt muskie max. So, um, that's, it's just a great show and I want to support it. And it's nice to meet everybody that supports you. So, um, you guys
0: there. are coming up and making the weekend of it.
4: Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, Mm-hmm. It's me, Ryan, and uh, Daniel Armantrout of uh, Musky Pursuit. Is his bait company name? We actually split a booth, so it's three of us in in you know, like a booth and a half space. Okay, so, cool. Yeah, you know, we're up well, against the wall.
0: If you, uh, you know, if we we're probably gonna have a little hunks get together Friday evening. So if you guys all want to join us and in open invite, sure. We haven't decided yeah. where or when or anything like that.
4: Yeah, we usually we usually just uh, lay low after we set up the booth and try not to get too crazy. But maybe we'll uh, slide on by for a drink. Yeah,
0: no, it won't be crazy. Nothing will be crazy.
4: (laughs) We're too old for that. Eight thirty. I know.
0: Absolutely. (laughs) Listening to his audio books. Drunk, drunk Owen (laughs) asleep by eight thirty.
1: I hope we get to see drunk (laughs) Owen. That'd be that
0: would be fun. We'll see.
1: We'll see. Only happens once in a blue moon. Very, very rare. Ryan, where can we uh find your stuff at?
2: Yeah, so it's uh Ryan Painter Customs uh, on Facebook. You can uh send me a friend request too and, and, and message me directly if you want to. I'm I'm a lot better about responding to uh messages on my, my personal page and I accept pretty much everyone. Um as far as getting baits, I'm similar to Andrew. It's getting it's getting harder and harder to get baits from me through Facebook. Um, I seem to be gearing up more and more for the show each year. And uh, I'm a bit of a people pleaser. I I really, the worst part of being a bait builder for me is is turning people away. Um, And I I hate to do it, but it's just one of them things where when you got a full-time job in a life, you have to. And it it sucks, but it is what it is. So uh, I always tell people, if you see me active on the page and you see me posting baits, you better do everything you can to buy one. Or if you come to the show and you're kind of, this is a bit of a sales pitch, but it's, it's the honest truth. If you're him hauling and you don't know if you want to try one, you better get one. Because if you message me a week after the show and try to order one, you may be waiting a year. Um, It's just, it's just how it ends up being. And I, I hate that, but it, but it is the way it is. I, uh, I love going to the show and. You know, we don't have to go to the show. I could sell everything I wanted to online, but it's just for me. It's a total blast. It's something I look forward to. I love meeting everybody. I love connecting with people. Um, so it's something I'm really looking forward to. And even if you don't want to buy anything, come by and chit chat. I love the whole weekend talking muskies all weekend. It's great. So come by and say hey. It's
1: awesome, dude. I, I got to give one shout out though, real quick, because i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna throw a shout out to to our boy brady martz because <laughs> brady's been on me for weeks and weeks and weeks to get you guys on a podcast so i'm glad we could finally deliver that
3: yeah you know, since we brought brady up i should say uh the first spray bomb bait i ever threw was brady's i was out with brady he's like man you, you gotta try one of andrew's glad you gotta throw this thing and uh I was casting it and it did not take long. I did not catch a fish that day on it, but I did move a very, very nice fish uh, on spray bomb. And I do plan on picking a couple up from you at the show. Awesome. He's been a pretty good salesman for me. Yeah, he's good. He is a good salesman. <laughs> as soon as I got on the boat, he said, he man, you got to throw this thing. You got to throw it. You know, Then of course I move a fish and now, now you're on my list.
4: It's just unfortunate that I don't make a lure he can cast with a fly rod.
5: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I really wanted to ask you guys about the Photoshop battles and stuff, too, because I love all that stuff, but we don't have to get into it.
4: Oh, that's all right. Usually, if we get somebody fired up over something.
1: That's good stuff, man. I get a good laugh out of that. Sometimes you need that during the week, too. I mean,
4: what? What? what is what good is the internet if you can't do that I mean
1: exactly
3: I agree That's no more. good yeah <laughs> oh, oh, I remember just, the the first Photoshop Brady made of me with uh a vertical hold uh oh yeah musky, he put it on Andrew's page and Andrew thought it was real so he messaged me and took it down <laughs> you remember that I forgot about that so much. <laughs> had me uh, holding a, a burger. It said, it said first one on a spray bomb or s- <laughs> <laughs> I, oh.
4: I, I wish I had that wish I had saved that message because it was probably an interesting conversation when I was like, Brady, who the heck is this guy
5: sitting <laughs> these on my page?
1: <laughs>
5: <laughs> Musky
1: loins. Loins. Wow. That's good stuff, man. Well, oh, I, <laughs> we certainly want to thank you guys for jumping on a call with us tonight and just kind of talking musky fishing, man. This was enjoyable. And uh, we're looking forward to seeing you guys at Musky Max. Get some time to chat, talk muskies, check out some of those baits. And, uh, you know, all of our listeners here, hopefully they swing by and check out what you guys are making because obviously people are putting a lot of fish in the boat a lot of big fish on each of your products and that's good to see we want to see people catch fish and we love you know i i always consider you guys are a little bit further outside of west virginia but when i talk about like this region and stuff like pa ohio new york west virginia virginia like i love seeing the local bait makers and seeing what you guys are doing you know it's just really cool to be east you know, coast yeah, yeah exactly exactly <laughs> It's, it's cool to see that stuff. So keep up the good work. And, you know, again, we appreciate you guys coming on tonight.
4: Yeah, no, same, same to you guys. Cause uh, you know, you, guys, I think what you guys are doing with the pod is, has been great and uh, keep it up.
0: And to all of our yeah, listeners man, that are, that are going to be coming to musky max or just you know, we haven't, we have a, we've, we've gathered a pretty decent amount of listeners that, that regularly download and listen to our podcast If you can take the time to subscribe, uh, not even subscribe, but just like or give us a, 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 you know, a positive rating on Apple or whatever, you know, uh, whatever podcast listening network you're on, because we have we have a number of we have a very dedicated listening base right now. And I think if some people started, you know, giving us some reviews and and giving us ratings that, you know, things could really take off because that's how all of these algorithms work these days. Right, Ryan? That's Isn't that what they say in the IT world? Well, usually algorithms? organically. In the, in the organically.
1: IT world, <laughs> it's more organic,
0: organically built.
1: <laughs> so I, along those lines, I did get some feedback today. And I'm just going to give him a shout out to Mr. Aaron Parisi. Yeah. Got a a nice message from him. So that was pretty cool. I I love hearing that stuff and, you know, glad that, uh, you know, even just something as simple as a podcast can help somebody catch a fish. And uh, we have a small part in that. So that's cool stuff. I hope to see more of that. And And it's everyone that
0: reaches out to us, we listen, like we, we all, if if you send a message to the Muskie Hunks, uh, you know, Instagram page, that gets sent to all, you know, like we get, we get notified. And so thank you. We appreciate any messages that are sent, any feedback that we can get anything you guys want us to do, want us not to do. You want Owen to go away. You want, you know, whatever, like we we can make things happen here. So we want, you
1: know, we want Owen to go away and drunk Owen to come to play. (laughs) Gotta have more cowbell, more cowbell baby. So yeah, so I mean we
0: we really enjoy the the, we really enjoy the the input from from our listeners so please keep it up and we look forward to seeing people at Muskie Max. What is it March 4th and 5th at Prince Arena?
1: Yeah, and this will come out after the lore swapper. I would have plugged that. Maybe I should do a video or something, but we're gonna have a good turnout tomorrow. So
0: looking forward to that.
1: Yeah. All right, guys. Well, all right, boys. Thank you guys again, Ryan and uh, Andrew. Appreciate your time. I'm looking forward to seeing you guys.
4: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Thanks, Thank guys. You. Thanks, guys. We'll see you at the max. All right. All right. See you. Hey, guys. I had to shake them on my last case, big O. Don't play. O don't...